Morning. How's everybody doing today? Good? Anybody awesome? Awesome. All right. Great. All right. You would take out your worship bulletin. I want to go over a couple quick announcements with you. I'm not going to read through this. If you're watching online, we have these posted on our website, willardnaz.org. You can find those. And uh, please make sure you read these. If you're here in person, make sure you read these because, like I said, I'm not going to go through every one of these. But um, one thing I wanted to point out, we, we got noticed that uh, Heritage Christian Counseling Ministries is, is opened up in Shelby. And if you are interested, if you need help, I know there have been some people struggling with some things, depression, anxiety. If you need help, I, I pray that you would seriously consider giving them a call. Sometimes there's this stigma that, you know, just handle it yourself, right? Just, just take care of it yourself and, and don't go to help. Go for, go for help. Go for help. Talk to somebody about this, and I think you're going to be blessed for that. Uh, the other thing is we are starting our prayer ministry. We're going to hold a kickoff meeting right after service. I would ask that you would strongly be praying during this service whether or not you're going to be a part of that. We're looking for people that would be committed to praying for the church, the direction of the church, prayer requests that come in, and a whole sort of other things. We'll kind of go over that. Um, If you read in Acts, right, right after thousands of people come to know Christ, Peter preaches, says 3,000 men come to know Christ, right? And then it says, then they devoted themselves to some things. And one of those things is prayer. So we want to be a church that is truly devoted to prayer. And we want to do a better job than we are doing right now. I got a call from Mount Vernon Nazarene University from a person in their church relations team, and they just said, hey, how are you doing? And what can we pray for you about? And so I told them, and they prayed for me right over the phone for that. And then uh, later that week, I got a card from them telling me that multiple people were praying for our church and for for the things that I had mentioned and everything like that. And I was like, that's cool. I'm like, we can do that. We can do a better job. We've got some people that love to send out cards and pray for people. We've got people that will be devoted to that. We've got people that will call up each other and say, hey, what can I pray for you? Uh, So that's what we're going to be looking at and talking about in this prayer ministry meeting right afterwards. Now, um, 15 minutes. I'll try to get you out of here in 15 minutes from that meeting, so it won't take long. We're just looking for who's interested in being a part of it and kind of talking about some things. So let's be in prayer and pray for that. Now, are you ready? I mean, are you, is your heart ready right now to hear from God, to praise God? I hope it is. I hope you're, I hope you are preparing yourself. I hope and pray that the worship team can draw us into God's presence even further. Um, And I'm excited. I'm excited for what God wants to do for what God wants to tell us, and um, I'm just really looking forward to this, to this time. All right, would you stand with me? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. Lord, we give you this time. Lord, we ask that you would just move, that you would speak to us, Lord, I pray that you would be with the praise and worship team, that you would direct them, that you would speak through them, Lord, and that our hearts uh, would be drawn to you. Father, I know that there are things going on 
in people's lives. Heavy weights. Lord, I pray that you would just remind them that there is a church that loves them. They have a family who cares about them. And of course, they have you. The author and creator of the universe. Lord, I pray that they would be able to begin to lay these things down before you and entrust them to you. Lord, I pray that you would be through our teachers that are going to be teaching the kids. I pray that you would speak through them and give them wisdom and help them to communicate the truths about you. And even better than that, Lord, I pray that you would communicate directly to these young kids and share your love and your concern for them. Father, I pray that they would come to know you. And Lord, I ask that you'd speak through your word. Pray that you'd speak directly into our hearts and that you'd transform us to look more like you. Father, I ask that you would build this church up, that you would expand our influence, that you would bring people in. But even more than that, I pray that you would send us out. Send us out into this dark world to be salt and light. Help us to give you glory in everything that we do. And Father, I pray for the sound. I pray for the internet. I pray for all the mechanical things. Would your hand just be on that and help everything to run smoothly so that we can give you glory, so that we can share the good news with people that are watching online. Father, I pray that they would know that this is their church family too and that we often think about them, we care about them, we miss them, Lord, and we want to be their family. Father, we love you, and we give you all praise. In your name we pray. Amen.
never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you
Turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 3. Joshua, or turn your Bibles to Joshua. We're going to start in chapter 1 real quick and then we'll move on to chapter 3. If you were not here last week, we started a sermon series that is looking at this man, this man called Joshua. And we talked about God's perspective in that last episode. We are in Numbers 13 and 14. If you did not see that, go back and watch it. But God had brought his people out of slavery, right? They were in slavery for hundreds of years. And God did some miraculous things to bring them out of that slavery. They were enslaved in, in Egypt, right? And as soon as they got out, Pharaoh realized, oh man, I made a mistake letting these people go. And so he gathers his army and he goes after him and he catches up to these Israelites, three million people at the Red Sea. So the Israelites have their back against the Red Sea and have one of the most powerful armies at this time at their front. And Moses tells the people, don't worry, God will fight for you today, right? And God does a miracle and delivers them from that situation and that army is defeated and the people didn't have to do a thing, Right? And then when we caught up with them in Numbers 13 and 14, they're on the, the edge of the promised land. They're getting ready to go into the promised land. The land that God had promised them hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And God says, hey, go check out the land. It's good. Go check out. Go look at the fruit. Right? And so 12 leaders, 12 leaders went into the promised land. It was a done deal. It was going to be their land. Twelve leaders go into the land and ten start looking around and getting worried. Ten start seeing giants there. Ten start seeing big walls, enemies all around them. And instead of realizing, hey, God's already given it to us, like he's just already saved us and delivered us, they take God out of the, question, the equation. They take God out of their perspective and they only look at it through their own eyes. And they're like, how are we going to take this land? 
they miss out. Two of them, they'll remember what God said. Two of them remember what God's promises, and they're like, let's go. We can do this. God will give us this land. And unfortunately, the people listen to the ten. Their hearts are filled with fear, complaining, and everything spreads like it does through this people group. And they miss out on this opportunity. Because ten said, there's giants there. And they didn't listen to the two who said, man, they're, they're our prey. God will God will give it to us. So the challenge was to have that perspective, to look at things through the lens of faith, right? To include God in the equation, to include God in our perspective when we look at things and not to just look at it with our own eyes. So that's what we talked about last week. Today, 40 years of aimless wandering have happened. A generation has died off. Only Joshua and Caleb, the two who said, let's go. Only Joshua and Caleb remain. And once again, they emerged on the banks of the river, overlooking the promised land. And the question for them is the same question for us. How are they going to walk out of the desert and into God's promise? How are they going to walk out of the desert and into God's promises. We know it's going to take perspective, right? They're going to have to quit looking at things from their perspective and believe God's promises. Not only believe God's promises, but they're going to have to walk in God's promises. And that's going to be the challenge for us, the same challenge for us today. The key component, we already know it. The key component is faith, right? The key component is faith. These people end up giving up. They ended up giving up a little too soon. Faith is more than just knowing. Faith involves action and involves commitment. It's one thing to believe God will provide. It's a whole other thing to walk in that belief and continue towards that promise. So let's start the stage in Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1. If you start reading that, I just want to read one verse. It's, chapter, it's verse 2. And it says this, Moses, my servant, is dead. All right, so good way to start off a book, right? Moses, my servant, is dead. If I'm writing the account of Joshua, that's probably not how I'm going to start it off. But it's reality. It's the reality of, of what they're experiencing. I mean, think about where the people are at this point. Moses was huge. Moses was the guy who led them out of Egypt. Moses brought the law to the people. Right? And check out this account in Exodus 11.33. It says, The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young age, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. The death of Moses must have been extremely hard for the people. For Joshua, Moses was like his father, though. So even harder, probably, for him. He loved him. Joshua's name was actually given to him by Moses. Joshua had a different name 
And Moses renamed him Joshua. We'll talk about that a little bit next week. On top of the loss of Moses, everyone had lost a generation, right? Everyone had lost a generation of their family. And as these people are standing in the banks, looking to the promised land, they're probably remembering who's not there. Who's not going to see this? Not only did they lose people, but they lost time. Forty years of wandering. Forty years of their life. Forty years of waking up to Groundhog Day, right? Do you remember that movie with Bill Murray? Forty years. Every day they get up and it's the same old thing. They're just spinning their wheels, though. Not getting any closer to the promised land. Forty years. That's the place of loss where the book of Joshua starts. Moses is just a great reminder of everything that's happened. So why does God lead with this? Why does God lead with Moses' death? It's because desert, the desert brings reality. They are a great reminder that we have. That reminder encourages us to step out of the desert into the promised land, into God's promises. Let me, let me explain it this way. Look at 2020, right? Anyone feel like they're aimlessly walking through a desert for 40 years during that year? People struggling with depression, loneliness, struggling to parent, struggling to teach their kids, kids getting cooped up, anxiety, growing. It was a desert season, but I don't know about you, but it, it brought a reality. It brought a clarity to my life. It brought an understanding and a realization of what is really important. It brought an understanding. How do I want to use my time? What's more important? What do I want to focus on? Every desert season of my life, every desert season of my life brings reality perspective, or clarity. It brings clarity of, hey, I don't need that stuff in my life. I don't really need that. That thing that I thought was important really isn't that important. Instead, I really need this stuff. Man, I just experienced my dad dying, right? A desert season. And through that desert, man, I get an appreciation for the time that I do have left with my kids and my family. I get a perspective on, on church family and how encouraging church family can be during tough times. I get a perspective on time, the importance of relationships, not in letting things go and taking things for granted, right? A desert season you learn things through desert seasons. And I know some of you experienced this, especially this last year. Some of you may have gone through a desert season and it, was, and it was a relationship, right? A relationship that sucked you dry. A bad relationship. And all of a sudden you're like, man, that was a desert. I never want to go back to that desert. I want to go into God's promises. So that desert can push you into God's promises or into that pursuit of God's promises. All right, turn to Joshua 3.1. Joshua 3.1. In this passage, I see some things that I think will help us walk out of the desert and into God's promises. 
Joshua 3, 1. It says, Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out for Shittim and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your position and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubics between you and the ark. Do not go near it. All right, so Joshua sends out this message by other leaders to the people, and here's what's going to happen. The ark, right, the sign of God's presence. We just sang about God's presence, right, in that last song. The ark, the sign of God's presence, is going to walk by. Be ready to move. Be ready to go, right? Follow it. Because why? Because you don't know where you're going, right? Because you've never been here before. Isn't it cool that God takes us to places we've never been before? I can testify to that. But keep a distance of 2,000 cubics which is about a thousand yards. That's what we named this sermon, a thousand yards. Keep a thousand yards between you and the ark. Don't go near it. God's presence is going to go by and just wait, not until it's one football field away, not two football fields away, not five football fields away, but wait until it's 10 football fields away before you start following it. Wait till you can barely see it. Can you imagine 10 football fields away, 2,000 cubics, then start following it? I never noticed this. I never noticed the 1,000 yards. And I got thinking when I read that, why? Why would he want them to wait for 1,000 yards before moving forward? This is one of those things that makes following God sometimes a little difficult, I think, right? What's the significance? What's the purpose of 10 football fields? I think God wants us to be in a position where we can see him and follow him, but he doesn't want us to be able to see where we're going and what it's like there. Maybe it's because we're not ready. We couldn't handle it if we could see over there. Remember what happened last time they went into the promised land? They saw giants. They saw fortified walls. And it scared them and it prevented them from going over. So maybe God is preventing them from getting scared. Maybe God is just teaching them, hey, you need to trust me. You need to follow me. You need to depend on me no matter what's over there. I don't know. Whatever the reason, though, this is what makes it hard. And this is one reason that we don't cross over. For us, we see the direction he's calling us, but we can't see what it's like over there, right? What's it going to be like over there if we cross over? The fear of not knowing sometimes, unfortunately, prevents us from crossing over, from walking into God's promise. Hey, I'm calling you to be a missionary. First question I have is, where to, right? If it's Hawaii, okay. If it's the Middle East, uh, that sounds a little scary for me. 
So where are you calling me to, God? How am I financially going to be able to make it? Am I going to be able to provide for my kids? What happens when I retire? Am I going to be able to move back to the United States? And am I going to have the ability to buy a home and to make a good life for my wife? You know, those are the things that I'm going to be worrying about, thinking about. Those are the things that I want God to answer before I commit to being a missionary. But that's not how God does it, is it? Right? God calls us, our imagination kicks in. Man, it's going to be really hard, Lord. I don't see how that's going to work out. It's scary, too many questions. I don't know. Man, I don't, I don't know about that. And, and that's where we end up. We stop right there, just wondering in the questions, wondering what it's going to be like. Anybody ever felt like that? Maybe you're dating someone, and you're like, God, I know I'm on the bank of the river in this desert dating this person that I should not date. But what's over there? Am I just going to be alone over there? Is it going to be worse off? How long am I going to have to wait? What do you have for me? Can't you just show me what's over there? In my life, I don't know if God's ever shown me what's over there. And unfortunately, there have been times that have prevented me from crossing over or at least delayed me. Sometimes he gets out a two by four and just makes it even clearer. But sometimes those things have been what has gotten in the way of crossing over. I tell you, though, the times that I have stepped out on faith, they might not be easy times but there hasn't been a time I've regretted it. There hasn't been a time where I've not felt God's presence there with it. So we have to drop our need to see the other side and instead just put our faith in him and follow him even when it's a thousand yards away or it feels like it's a thousand yards away. Somebody needs to hear this in here. I'm confident of this. Staying where you're at is not an option. It is a desert. It is going to suck you dry. It is going to kill you. There is nothing but death if you stay where you're at. Cross over. Let me say this, though. I'm not promising you an awesome spouse. I'm not promising you 1.5 kids, a two-story horse, house, and a dog, right? Horse, that'd be an impressive horse. <laughs> this isn't TV evangelist time. I can't promise you things. What I can promise you, though, is if you cross over, you will have God's presence. And my friends, that is far better than anything else cross over get into his presence you'll find out that's what you really want that's what you're so desperate for god says follow me you don't know where you're going because you've never been there before but i'll take you there i'll show you it his presence is a great place to be for you dad's for your family, 
Wives, for your family, it's a great place to be. Trust him. Step out in faith and obedience. How do you know the direction? Where is God at? You have to dig into his word. You have to spend time on your knees in prayer throughout the day. Okay, God, I'm looking for you. Where are you? I want to move towards you. What's getting in my way? What needs to go from my life? (coughs) I want to cut things off. I want to get out of the desert. I want to pursue you. I'm tired. I'm tired of this desert. Anybody tired of the desert? I'm coming after you. Start setting a course for God's presence, and you will find him. So you start setting a course for God's presence for his heart. You thought you were heading over to the other side, right? I'm like, oh, cool. I'm going to pursue God. I'm going to go after him. It's just going to be nothing but awesomeness. I'm going to become awesome. I'm going to be around awesome people. And God's like, "Mm, it's not exactly how it works, right? You're going to follow him. You're going to say, I just want to be where you are. And he's going to take you into his heart for people that are in bondage. In dire circumstances. In the dirt. In the mud. Disenfranchised. He's going to take you to a place, though, where you just start growing in your capacity to really have grace to really experience grace, to give grace with a whole bunch of people that need it. Then he's going to take you on a little bit of a road where you're going to recognize that you're not the center of the world and that he loves other people too and he wants them to know him. Start setting a course for his presence in the path is not going to be what you thought it was. It's going to be better. It's probably going to be harder, but it's going to be better. It might be a thousand yards away, and you might not know where you're going, but he'll take you there. And I'm just telling you, part of the blessing to you is not just where he's going to take you, but it's who he's going to make you into. Joshua 3.5, check this out. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Now you're like, okay, that's what I'm talking about. The Lord is going to do some amazing things. So, so consecrate yourself. What in the world does that word mean? It's kind of a churchy word, right? Consecrate means very simply to make or declare holy. We can consecrate these, order, these altars and say, these are holy, right? And you're like, James, that really doesn't help me, though. What, do, what does holy mean? There's another churchy word. Um, what is holiness? If you would have asked me what holiness was years ago, I would have talked about cleanliness, being clean. So if I have this water bottle right here, if my, my understanding how it used to be, man, if this is going to be consecrated and made holy, then what I'm going to do is I'm going to make sure it doesn't get dirty. I'm not going to let your grubby, dirty hands touch this water bottle, right? So I'm going to be careful with it. You know, maybe I'll use a paper and and grab it, and I'm just going to set it over here so it doesn't get dirty. That's not holiness. And my friends, sometimes that's what we think of in the church. 
So what is the water bottle for? It's to drink, right? You got to drink it uh, or you can't use it, right? So what is its extraordinary purpose? Holiness is about setting something apart for an extraordinary purpose. Maybe this water bottle is going to be for the praise and worship team to drink. Maybe that's the purpose that it's going to have. We're going to set it up just for them. And they're going to be refreshed, and they're going to be able to lead praise and worship. If that's the case, what is the only way this becomes unholy? Well, one way is if I hide it so it doesn't get dirty. And it never meets its purpose. Then it's unholy. Right? Another thing would be if I opened it up and drank it, right? Because it's dedicated to something else. It's dedicated to a specific purpose. That's the only way this, thing's, this thing becomes unholy because it was set apart for the worship team. And now I'm going to come over here and drink it. Holiness means being set apart for an extraordinary, unique purpose. And my friends, that's who you are. God created you, fashioned you for an extraordinary purpose. And you have to get that. You have to real, realize that. You are fashioned. You are formed by God. You are a new creation to be used by Him. There is a special purpose now for your life. So he says, listen, get ready, get your head in the right space, but I need to lead you. I need you to understand that there's an extraordinary purpose for your life that you are made for. You'll, you need to walk in it. You need to live it. Ephesians 4.22, let me help you understand a little bit more. It says this, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, that former way of life wandering in the desert, right? Which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. All right, step off into that extraordinary thing that God has made you to be. That plan and that purpose for your life. Consecrate yourself to that. Set yourself apart for that. You were created to be like God. You were created in His image. Truly righteous and holy. Holy, not perfect, not totally clean by your own hand. But set apart for God's purposes. Not doing things like your old, your old former way of when you were in the desert, right? No, living for God and for the purposes that He has for you. Being an ambassador for him. That's holy. Next verse says, so stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth for we are all parts of the same body. So hey, the old lies that you told that you used to tell your old self, you need to stop lying. Listen to this though. Not because if you, if you don't tell a lie, that will make you holy but because you were not created to tell lies. What were you created to do? 
You were created to tell the truth. That's when you step into your purpose. That's where holiness is at. That's what it means to be holy, to realize there is a purpose behind your life and to go after that. It's not that you quit doing thumbs. That stuff will come. But as you step into your purpose, you do what God created you to do. Man, there are people who need the truth spoken into their lives. That's the purpose that you have. When you do that, you're, you're doing what God created you to do. That's when you're holy. And he goes through this list and he points out some things that we shouldn't be doing if we're living on purpose. And he says, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you continue on in your old ways, if you continue on in your old ways, the way you used to live, it will only lead you back to the desert. It gives him a foothold. It gives the enemy a foothold. You don't want that. Shake that off. Step out of that. Step out of the ordinary. You have to choose a life of holiness. Not a life focused in on what you don't do, but a life focused on what you're called to do. That's a life of holiness. A life that focuses on loving God with every part of your being and loving others as yourself. That's holiness. It's not focused on, I can't do this, I can't do that. That stuff comes but it's not the focus. Every day, every moment, you choose old self or new self, old way or new way, living for self or living for what he created you to do. Choose that. Choose holiness every day. Back to Joshua, verse 13. This is such a great image of how we walk out of the desert into God's promises. I'm so excited to share this with you. <clears throat> the promises... In the Bible, there are promises in the Bible that you can walk in. All right? Be careful. Some, sometimes people think that there's promises and they, they claim them, but they're really not biblical. Make sure that you're walking in these promises and not the promises that you've heard or anything like that. I can't speak to those promises. These promises, though I can. All right? 3.13. The priest will carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, as soon as their feet touch the water, the flow of water will be cut off upstream and the river will stand up like a wall. So the people left their camp to cross the Jordan and the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. It was the harvest season and the Jordan was overflowing its bank. But as soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the Ark touched the water at the river's edge, the waters above that point began backing up a great distance away at a town called Adam, which is near Zarethan. And the water below that point flowed on to the Dead Sea until the riverbed was dry. Then all the people crossed over near the town of Jericho. All right, listen to this, all right? To leave the desert and walk into God's promises, we know it takes perspective and then we know it takes faith, right? Here's the thing. Notice when God parts the water. The priests don't come up to the edge, and then the water parts, and then they start walking over, right? He waits until when? 
He waits until their feet step in the water. That's walking in faith. The banks are overflowing. I'm sure the river is moving pretty good, right? And they're walking up to it and nothing's happening. It's still there. Until they start to walk into the water. That's a step of faith. That's what we're called to. We don't like that, right? We already talked about this. We want God to part the water as we're going up there so we can just walk by on dry land. But that's not faith. Faith moves forward and trusts God's promises. Here's an example of of what this looks like for some people. I'll start supporting the church when I have enough money, right? I'm going to wait for God to improve my financial situation, and then I'll start giving. That's what people pray. Give me some money, and I'll give it to the church. I used to pray, let me win the lottery, and then I'll give a lot of money to the church. (laughs) But God waits for us to step out on faith before he starts working. He does. With money, I think God looks at, hey, who, who can I trust with my resources? It's probably the person that I can trust with a little amount of resources that I'll probably be able to trust with a big amount. There is a reason that we say it takes a leap of faith with whatever God calls you to do. Whatever it is, it's going to take a step of faith. God asks you to get into the river while it's flooded, while it's moving fast. Now, I said that. That's not the part people really struggle with. That's, that's not the real hard part. That's not the part that we need to be careful of. Because I know there are a lot of people that have taken leaps of faith. That's not the part I worry about. All right? God grabs their heart. They want to do this. They get up to that bank. It's a big moment right at the edge of that water. It's a big moment. And all of a sudden they jump in. That's the part where I I get concerned. Leap of faith, yes, that's awesome. That's great. You've probably done it. What's your expectation, though, when you do it? What do you expect? My expectation is, bam, as soon as I hit that water, water's going to part. There's going to be walls of water on each side, and I'm going to walk through on dry ground. God, you said you'd stop the water right? That's not what happens, though. You take a leap of faith, you jump into the water, and guess what? It's wet. You jump in, you're in the water. It's wet. It's still there. You start looking around, and guess what? The water's not changed in height. It's still the same level. It doesn't seem like anything's happening. Is this thing broke? God, did you sleep in? I'm here, but I took the leap. What are you doing? Do you not do miracles anymore? Have you ever been here? Have you ever taken a leap and you've jumped in the water and it just stays the same height right there and it doesn't part? God grabbed your heart. He called you to something and you jump in. It's clear, but it doesn't turn out how you imagined. Your feet are wet. Not only wet, but you're standing in the muddy the mud underneath the water, right? Like you determined to have a prayer time with your spouse and it's the most awkward thing you've ever done in your life. Or you try to read the Bible and you don't have a clue what you're reading. You can't even remember what you just read. You start to tithe and, and your bills don't magically disappear. 
In fact, they just get worse. You try to witness to somebody and you crash and burn. You don't even know what to say. Do you know what I'm talking about? You feel like, man, I just made a fool out of myself. And here's the thing. What's your tendency at that point? I don't know about you, but my tendency is to start stepping back and to get out and to go back to that bank of the river because it's just not working. The water's not going down. Man, I confess my sin. I confess my sin to other people and I'm still struggling with it. I have not been healed of this. Man, this promise seems to be broken. Or God's not doing any miracles. There are, there are people, Christians, who believe that God does not do miracles anymore. Or I must be such a terrible person that it just doesn't work for me. I'm doing something wrong. I don't know if you've ever been there, but man, I have. I've been standing in the water. And sometimes it even feels like it's gotten worse. Like I'm stuck in the mud and I just lifted up my shoe and my, my, my foot and my shoe gets stuck in the water and I in the mud and I lose it. Sometimes that's what it feels like for me. But my friends, this is really where faith kicks in. This is where you need to continue to walk in faith. You need to continue to walk in God's promises. This is where you need to be strong. This is where you need to have courage. This is where you need to say, I'm not going back. I'm not going back to that desert. There's no way. That's death back there. Listen to this passage again and see what happens. But as soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the ark touched the water at the river's edge, the water above that point began backing up a great distance away at a town called Adam, which is near Zarethan. And the water below that point flowed into the Dead Sea until the riverbed was dry. Then all the people crossed over near the town of Jericho. Man, that happens fast in this passage. But there's some serious time there. It's not like it was an instance. There's some serious time where God is working and putting things into motion. You see, as soon as you leap, as soon as you touch the water, God starts working. God starts moving. God starts damming water up but it takes some t- takes some time sometimes because it's happening a thousand yards away it's happening 20 miles down the stream and that water is still going to be flowing for a while but my friends god is working he is moving it is happening you might not see it immediately but god is damming up that water 20 miles down the stream and it's going to take some time. In 1927, there was an earthquake in this same exact city mentioned here. And there was a landslide that dammed up the river for 21 hours. The Jordan River went completely dry, just like in this account. But it took some time to happen. My friends, you keep walking in faith and wait for God to shake the earth, move the mountains, and make a way. You might not see it right away, but God's moving mountains. That's why we sing Waymaker. Amen? 
That thing that you've been praying about, God is working. Maybe He's working on somebody else. Maybe He's working on you. Don't you dare stop praying. Don't you dare stop walking. Double down. Start fasting. Grab somebody in the church. Grab a brother and sister. Lock arms in them in the water while you're still wading through that river. Keep walking in faith. And guess what? You'll get to the promised land. You'll get to the promise. If you back up right now, if you see it's just not working, you're going to miss out. Man, somebody needs to hear this. Maybe you've jumped in the water before and you've backed up on the hill, on the bank. Keep going. God is moving mountains. God keeps his promises. It might take days. It might take weeks. It might take years. You read the biblical accounts of people. Look at how long Joseph was a slave. Years before God brought him into the position that he created him to be in. It might take time, but God is moving. And you have to have the faith. You have to have the courage. You have to have the strength to keep walking in that. Be reminded, we take a small step of faith. The Lord of all the earth responds. He might be a thousand yards ahead, but he's responding. He's moving. Meet him in the mud and the water. You have to keep taking steps. Even when your shoes come off and you don't see those instant results. I'm not saying it's not hard. I'm not saying that, but keep walking in faith. Amen? Stand with me. Here's the deal. Some of you right now, God's calling you to take the leap, to take the jump, to take the step. Out of the desert, do it. Get out of that. Man, I want you to jump in. You might be thinking that. I know God's calling me to this, but it's, it's like he's a thousand yards away. I can't see what it looks like. I got a lot of questions. Just jump in. Jump in, my friends. You can't stay there. You can't stay in the desert. It's death. It will kill you. You weren't made for the desert. You were made to jump in the water. Don't say, God, if you want me over there, open the door, park the water, kick the door down, start walking through the water, let him make the way, but start moving. Let him start working then behind the scenes and enable you. He's calling you out of the desert and into his promises. If he's doing that, trust him. And if you jump in, remember he's faithful. He's working. It might take time. Keep trusting, though. Keep pursuing after him. Like I said, lock hands with a brother or sister. Lock hands with a small group. Go out to dinner and talk about what's going on. Invite somebody over to your home. Talk about what some, something's going on. If you do that, I promise you, you'll have his presence. I promise you that you'll get to the promised land. Because he's faithful. He's faithful. Keep moving. He's moving mountains. The question is, 
Will you trust him? Will you step out into faith? And will you keep walking in faith? Talk to him about that. Father, I just thank you for today. Lord, I thank you for what you challenge us with. Lord, I pray that you would call each and every one of us. Call us to what you'd have us do. And Father, when we're scared to death, when we don't know what's going to happen, when we're tempted to back out, to not jump, Lord, make us bold. Give us a boldness. Make us strong and courageous, Lord, and help us to take that leap. And Father, when we get in that water, don't let us quit walking. Father, help us to keep steering towards you. Keep walking towards you. Father, help us to be there for each other when we're in that walk. Lord, we're in that mud. We're in that water. Lord, let us trust you to part the way in your timing. Lord, use this church. Send us out of here. Put us in people's paths. Call us to witness to people. Call us to serve. Call us to sacrifice. Call us to give. Give us those opportunities, Lord. And help us to be faithful. Help us to step out on faith and trust your faithfulness. Lord, we love you and we praise you. Use us. In your name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed.